Welcome to Packers Without Borders, the greatest podcast on the planet. <laughs> Bienvenidos empacadores sin fronteras, dos papás dedicados al amor, la risa y los empacadores de Green Bay. Packers Without Borders, the greatest podcast on the planet. Two dads talking love, life, dedicated to the Green Bay Packers. Go Pack Go! Verde y amarillo hasta la muerte. I mean, all I'm saying is just without Campbell, who's going to cover St. Brown? I mean, in Joe Barry's defense, who's going to cover St. Brown? If Campbell's out, I guess St. Brown's going to be covered by Preston Smith. Dude, did you hear the tone, the condescending tone in Joe Barry's uh, con press conference? Because they were grilling him in a little bit, right? Like the whole savage thing that you had called your shot on that we'll talk about right now. But... He sounds condescending, which is probably how his attitude is with his players, where he's it's like, why are you not willing to try something? You talk about it, but because they didn't practice it this entire fucking time, you're not going to move, I don't know, somebody to edge or somebody to a different position where you remember the whole, oh God, who was it? Was it Collins or Rollins and um, Randall and Randall Rollins and Randall that time period where they were switching them out because they weren't a very good cornerback. So they moved him and they never moved him to safety. And then he goes to another fucking team and then he becomes a fucking all-star fuck. Not, not an all-star. Uh, you know a what better, I mean? A better player at safety. Right. So Douglas is, if the player's willing to do it, because all of these players are willing to do whatever is told, asked of them to win like that. We know. I mean, ask yourself this, would you rather be on the field standing five feet back and win every game? Or would you rather lose every game and stand five feet forward? I mean, ultimately, all this does, moving Savage over to the slot, all this does is give Savage the opportunity to get an extension. It gives Douglas, who clearly reads the field a lot better than Savage, an opportunity to make more picks and more plays from that spot. Guy's already a ball hawk, so put him back there. That's that's what he's good at. He's good at reading and reacting on the ball. That's what you need. And if he has a split second more to watch the ball in the air, what more do you want? He doesn't have to backpedal. He can stand there for a second and see the play. You're gonna you're gonna increase your turnovers. I mean, I know we've gotten a few more turnovers, but man, with the defense that we have, we should be seeing three or four turnovers a week. Yeah, a week. Not one occasionally because somebody dropped one accidentally and then the NFL decided, okay, yeah, that was a turnover, right? Like, uh. And it helps with the tackling for Savage too, which is a major issue because if he misses the tackle, at least you have Razul Douglas back there to make the tackle, right? As opposed to being the last line of defense with Savage, you need to have your surest tacklers and that's why safety is so important, right? Like they're basically the safety umbrella for the front and the way that Joe Barry lines up his defense, he's putting a lot of pressure on his safeties. That's when they keep talking about Barry and how important the safety position is for this team. I think it's more of, I need to make sure that my, you know, when 
I do my stupid shit up front. I've got something in the back to cover my ass. That's how it feels, dude. Well, you know, somebody posed a question and they said, what are we going to see this Sunday against the Lions? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what you're going to see. Jamal Williams is going to have 120 yards, two touchdowns. He's going to look untouched for 90% of his freaking runs. Swift is probably going to get in the neighborhood of 80 to 100 yards, probably a touchdown. And St. Brown is going to go uncovered through the middle uh, 15, 20 times on us. We're going to make the Detroit Lions offense look like all pro, all Madden, all universe team. And it's not because we have a lack of talent. It's because our talent is not being placed. This is the same, you know, I went to my, I went to my daughter's volleyball tournament last night and we have, this is, this is kind of a, a tip too, for you parents out there. Every, every year that I played a different sport and I played, I played volleyball, basketball, baseball, football, hockey, you occasionally ran into a terrible coach. Okay. You, you, the, they're out there. They're out there for some reason or another, your kid has come across a terrible coach. Now, if your coach is going to injure or harm people, you need to say something immediately. If you're just losing games because you're being out coached, this isn't something in which you need to circle the wagons and go out there and ruin somebody's reputation or anything like that. You need to address this with whoever's in charge at the end of the season. That way, these coaches do get weeded out, okay? My daughter has a bad coach. It, she's a positional player, this coach. She's a positional player, much like Joe Barry. She's a positional player. She knows a lot of the inter intricacies, but she can't see the game as a coach. She can't motivate as a coach, and she can't put players in positions in which they will maximize their potential, thus making the team a winning team. On my daughter's team, there are seven, eight players. Five of those, well, she's got 12 players in total. Seven, eight players that are, are good. Five of those players are extremely good. And they should be seeing the college scouts. They should be seeing the university scouts. They should be seeing these people showing up, but they don't see them because they're not put in the position to succeed. And this goes to Joe Barry. Joe Barry has an entire group of first round picks. These guys are fantastic and phenomenal players. And instead of being placed in a position in which they can succeed, they are outmanned, outcoached, outgunned. And the reason that they're being outmanned, outcoached, outgunned is because Joe Barry is a positional coach who is now in charge and he doesn't understand why some plays work and why some plays don't. He doesn't grasp the concept. He doesn't see the game or can see three or four steps ahead. Football in the CFL is very easy. It's three downs, which basically means there are two downs and then they're going to punt in the NFL. It's a lot more of a chess match because you can hand off on the first play. And, I, and if you only get two yards, You've still got two more plays to get eight yards. You can dink and dunk and slice and dive and, and attract. It's just like the running game. We saw Aaron Jones and Dylan tearing it up. And then what happened when we kept feeding it? Those, those safeties started stepping up. They started putting more in the box. And suddenly guys like Dobbs, suddenly guys like if Christian Watson had played the entire game. Started yeah, that was a bad concussion. 
oh, started busting loose and the play action then starts to work. Yeah, dude. And, and, you know, on the point of the running game, because I dove a little bit more because yeah, everybody says you need to run the ball. That's fantastic. We've been fucking pounding the table for that. You know where the issue is, Matt? So I started looking at carries per quarter carries per, per distance to goal. Um, they stopped running the ball at the 50 yard line. Like, yeah. That's exactly yeah, because Rogers can hit it. Can Rogers can hit it from there? Yeah. Yeah. And that's where Rogers. So I think that the game plan, they do run it and he runs it because he's deep in his own. And he doesn't feel that he can get it to the end. So, well, and, and we've had good starting position, which is the problem, which is why when we're starting at the 40, the first it's a pass because he's wanting to do that, but they are running the ball 63% less times past the 50 yard line, dude. So you're looking at a dip and that's why the carries go down. That's why they don't have goal line carries. That's why they only have three touchdowns in the last eight games because they start, they go away. So they start drives deep in their own zone in the run. But once they start getting into a position where you can start attacking, instead of continuing to attack with the run, that's where Rogers gets that click in his head where he has to start playing hero ball and starts passing ball or whether Matt LaFleur gives him the call. It doesn't matter. The team is not running the ball. Once they start getting to the 50, 63% less times. That's something we need to do against the lions. Dude, the lions have a very powerful offense, a very shitty defense, and we need to keep them off the field and give our defense a chance to sit back, rest, coming completely fresh. And despite the scheme, have fantastic players that can actually have the time to do something with this defense. And they might be a blowout, but it's not going to happen because we know that they're not going to go away from what they've been practicing since training camp because he's not even willing to move a player. What do you have to fucking lose, right? Well, and they make it sound like it's so technically complicated, much like when you go into your mechanic and there's a little bit of a clunking in your car. Instead of him saying, listen, there's a rod that attaches to your front tire and that keeps the tire from falling off. And instead of it being attached, it is now off. And that's the clicking noise. They don't say stuff like that. What they say is, is, well, you see the Johnson rod is technically off torque and the torque of the Johnson, right? You don't, you don't need to complicate the defense, right? We talked, they talked about, uh, well, we didn't want to play a lot of man against the bills because Josh Allen can run. Well, can you not can you not just just say, hey, Quay, during these plays, when we're playing man, your job, Mr. Quay Walker, if he didn't get tossed out, is to quarterback spy, stand right here and mimic where Josh that would have been it. Quay is faster than Allen. And Quay is roughly the same set. Like he would have that would have done it right there. Instead, what we did was we were getting gashed by the run. So we take out another lineman to put in somebody smaller. And then we, and then on, on the hot, on, on the snap of the ball, we make him run eight yards away. And dude, and like, here's what's funny. Like you're talking about that. We can transition into this. So on the rushing component of it, and then we'll get onto the rush defense because I have a comment for you on that, that I want, I'm, I have some questions that I want to ask you. So first off, Detroit is bottom 10 in total defense. Total defense, passing defense and rushing defense has allowed the second most rushing touchdowns. So we should run the ball. Like, let's get there. So now let's look at the other side. You just mentioned the rush. So in, to improve the rushing game, dude, like the Packers have allowed the third most rushing yards in the NFL, only behind the Houston Texans yep. and the Chicago Bears, who are now going to be worse, right? So yep. what do you do 
because we're going to have Zeke Elliott, like after it's Jamal Williams and uh, Swift. And then you've got Zeke Elliott and Tony Pollard. And then we have Derrick Henry. And then we have Jalen Hurts and Miles Sanders coming up in the next few weeks. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Hundreds of yards are going to be crushed upon us like a fucking avalanche. This is what you do. This is exactly what you do as a defensive coordinator. This is it. And you can you can take this all the way from fucking Pee Wee, Pop, Pop Warner football, all the way to the NFL and beyond. This is what you do. You adjust until they can't do that play anymore. And then you leave it there until they go away from it. Okay? So... We have two D linemen and they run right through the middle of a gap for eight yards, put three D linemen in. They run through the middle for eight yards, right through the a gap, put four D linemen in. They keep running. You keep putting more guys right there and make him do something else. Do we remember when we won the Super Bowl and we had Michael Vick and the Philadelphia Eagles and Michael Vick and the Eagles were, were killing everybody. And in fact, that year we had actually played, the Eagles earlier and Vic ran for, I, uh, I mean, it was probably like 210 yards. It was like some NFL record. Yeah. He, for he forced Gump the pack. Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. And so what did we do the next time we played them? We forced him to stay in the pocket and we suck our, we, 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 we uh, I can't even speak. We sent Clay Matthews, we, we set the guard dog, the hound dog after him over and over and over and over again. Keep him in the pocket, press him. Keep him in the pocket, press him. What do we do to Josh Allen? Well, we let him run free. We don't give him, we give him all the time he wants back there. And this is what confuses me, okay? Josh Allen in that game did not look rushed. He did not look scrambled. I mean, even the Washington game. And they go, well, he had 41 hurries. What the fuck qualifies as a hurry? He didn't look hurried at all. He took three steps back, went through two progressions, and hit the third guy. That's not a hurry. Yeah, and when they were getting there, this is what we talked about, that they're playing so soft that he's just lobbing it literally up in yeah. the air like an area, like lobbing it. Like yeah. a pointer, and the guy's wide open. And then 500. Remember playing 500 in the backyard with your buddies? And you're 100, right? You just chuck it in the air, right? Yeah. That's what he was doing, and he was killing us. And you got J you got Jair Alexander covering some fourth round guy who never gets the ball. Then you've got you know Stokes, who's confused. And this is and you can tell this this comes down to coaching. Okay, we are at week eight, week nine now. Nine. When you see defenders repeatedly, and keep your eyes open, folks. Okay, you see our defense line up. Look at the secondary and the linebackers. They're giving each other signals. They're waving at each other. And a lot of the secondary are giving you the shrug. They got their hands up in the air going, what? What am I doing here? This guy who? That's a coaching issue. Period. Yeah. Yep. Period. Okay. Period. It goes back to, and I'll, I'll bring it back to my daughter's volleyball team. Okay. When they play other teams, their coaches, the other team's coaches are sitting in chairs and they're calm. And they're cool and they're relaxed. You know why that is? Because they have gone through a good week of practice. They know they have covered absolutely everything and that this, all of this information has been installed and it's going to work. When, they're, when you look over at my daughter's side of the bench, the coach is pacing, standing, 
arms are folded. It's all in the body language. It's because she's praying that something that they did is going to work and spark something. You can't wish, pray, and hope in the NFL. You cannot. You either did it or you didn't do it. And Barry's not doing it. And that's all there is to it. And you can see because the players are looking at each other going, who, where, what? How do you not get the play in immediately? How do you not have your adjustments installed Tuesday morning? Are you not tired of listening about how great practice is going? Because apparently not. It almost sounds like an excuse that's not being asked for, right? Like when somebody gives you an explanation for something, when you're not asking the question. Do you know what that means? Do you know what that means when they say that? Do you know what that means when they say that? This is what it means. It means is when the coaches are doing their job, we're doing it correctly and everything looks good. And then when we go to the game, the players don't do what we did all week. And it's their justification for they're trying to justify their actions and deflect the issues onto the players. Like we did great at practice, which means we installed our game plan and the players aren't executing. We've been hearing that over and over again. I'm sick and fucking tired of it, to be honest with you, dude. I can tell you this. I can tell you this. And this is without a word of a lie. You can let the players go out and call their own plays and they would look, they would look more organized than they do now. That's, that's as simple as that. Barry is being called out. Barry is condescending because he's hearing it. And he's not only hearing it from the press, from fans, when he our goes pod- to the grocery store, our podcast, my daily email to his personal account. He is, he is not only hearing it from all of those aspects, but now he gets into work and he's got Jerry Gray and he's got Mark Murphy, and he's got Goot, and he's got LaFleur, right? If you look over at Miami, and Miami is a shit heap right now, but if you look over at Miami, Miami was getting beat on a handful of plays over and over and over again. And the head coach, they showed it on the sidelines. They never really showed it. Walked over to the defensive coordinator, looked him in the eye and said, get it fucking fixed or I'll fix it. Why is the LaFleur not over going Joe Barry? There has been times, and... I had a defensive coordinator. I was the head coach of a team and our offense was moving along and our defense just wasn't getting any pressure. And I said, you need to crank the pressure up a little bit more pressure. And he said, okay, no problem. About five or six plays later, I walked over. I said, you need to crank the pressure up, send more blitzes from everywhere else. Just start mixing it up. We need to start sending five and six every play. And he said, got it, got it. By the end of that quarter, it hadn't been adjusted. I walked over. I took the playbook from his hand. I said, give me this. I looked over at the uh, linebacker. I called in the play. Bang, we got a sack. As soon as the linebacker got up from the sack and looked over at me while he was celebrating, I signaled in the next play because now it's second and 14. They're passing. This is what I want to see. Bang, we sacked him again. I handed the thing back to him and I said, I just showed you what I want to see do it or I'll do it. And for the rest of the game, we started seeing a lot more exotic blitzes. We saw a lot more pressure from the corners and from slot safeties and things like that. And suddenly the defense got back into, and I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn, right? But I'm about to. The defenses that I coach, we set provincial records. Then we broke those records the next year and then rebroke them again the year after, okay? I had coaching opportunities from the States. 
because they were like, get, get your ass down here and do this. The problem with those coaching opportunities were they were willing to pay me like $11,000 and I'd have to relocate my entire family. Don't worry. I can work part-time at the Starbucks to make ends meet. And I'm like, dude, (laughs) I'm not moving to another country with no health insurance and healthcare for $11,000. It's not happening. Right. So I, I, I didn't end up going kind of kick myself a little bit every now and then, like maybe I could have, would have, should have, Hey, you know what? If Charlize Theron returned my calls, maybe we'd be a thing, right? If it's and butts were candy and nuts, but if it's not working, you need to adjust it immediately. And we see it every single game. Joe Barry does not make in-game adjustments. He does, however, seem to have a game plan for the fourth quarter. And that seems to be prevent prevent defense only prevents you from winning. Okay. We did not need to come out in the second half of that Bills game and let them continue to run with the lead. We needed to shut them down and make Josh Allen start letting go of the ball in the air, giving our ball hawks an opportunity to give us the ball back. Instead, we let them drain six, seven minutes per drive, walk them over. Well, we did get an interception on the fucking goal line. Sessions in the fourth quarter that meant nothing six minutes and 20 seconds left because we were already behind two scores. Yeah. No way. I mean, it was like kick a field goal and then go for the touch. Like it, it just wasn't possible. Yeah, dude, I agree with you. I mean, it's just here's the other thing that I've got for you. Okay. I I think I figured out the Packers plan. I'm gonna call my shot. And if I'm right, great. If I'm wrong, then it's no surprise. Um, I have a feeling the trade deadline passed, nothing happened, right? Because uh, we're gonna just like every other year. With all the issues with the defense, including with the Detroit Lions, you're going to have to score 30 points because you're not going to hold these guys down with the way the defense is being played. Oh, no. No. I have feeling that they are going to sign Odell Beckham Jr., regardless of if he comes back in December. This season, they've already – not that they've mailed it in, but it's like let's see what happens is the plan, right? If they sign OBJ, I will shave my head. Okay, done. I'm serious. They sign a no guy for millions of dollars in late December for an ifs and maybe and buts. Well, because this team either turns it around and comes together now, or it's it's not happening. No, I'm looking at it this year, regardless of what happens, where we have to basically run the table to make the playoffs because the guy, you know, the the NFC as trash as it is has it's going to be difficult. I mean, we might be able to get that last wild card spot from the Bucks, right? but they're going to, we'll see, maybe. Um, but Odell Beckham Jr., if they're going to do it, it's going to be a long-term deal, which is what Odell wants. So it's not necessarily for this year, and we get what we can out of him to get some rapport, and Aaron Rodgers is coming back one more year, maybe, or probably, I don't know. But that's kind of the way that you get Aaron Rodgers to stick around for another year, is where you get him a weapon like OBJ. You for almost, ne- you almost so- want Aaron Rodgers to retire. You <laughs> almost want, and, and just hear me out, just hear me out, okay? Just hear me out, just hear me out. So let's just say we're playing devil's advocate. I'm not saying this is what I want. I'm just saying, let's, let's think about this for a second. Bakhtiari's got some problems. I mean, he's back again, but he's, he's got some problems. He's also got a major league paycheck. Okay. That's one guy. Then Rogers leaves. Suddenly that opens up in the neighborhood of 50, 60 million bucks in cap space. Imagine what we could do with, say, $50 million for Jordan Love. We could get him a brand-new O-line. We could get him a brand-new O-line and a couple of wide receivers. We could get him Brandon Cooks and Fuller and give him a brand-new O-line if we wanted to. We could probably go and get a guy like Tony Pollard and have James Jones or Aaron Jones 
and Tony Pollard out there. I mean, the sky's the limit when you've got 50 million bucks. There isn't a player out there you couldn't go get with 50 million bucks. We could get Tom Brady to leave Tampa and come to Green Bay, but Tom wouldn't take 50 million bucks. He'd take, he'd, he'd take a lot less than that. And say, right? And tell the coaching staff, I need this guy, this guy, and this guy if you guys want to win. That's yeah. literally. I mean, the problem with him, he's, you can tell that he, he's turned into Peyton Manning noodle arm at the end of his career a little bit. But listen, and- they, they say that the personal life and the football life are two separate things. It no, is not. not. You are one human being. You just broke up with your wife of what, 13 years. You're now not living with your kids. You're going through all of this and it, it, it's going to affect your play. It's going to affect the way that you sleep. Yeah eat do everything yeah i just i feel that aaron Rodgers is going to stick around i think aaron jones they'll pay him but i think bach is going to be gone and with that money that's what i'm saying like i I genuinely believe that their plan is already for the future to a certain extent i think they are going to go after some that you can't trade for anybody but the only thing that we can do that's available for like a superstar wide receiver to make it seem not only to the fans but to aaron Rodgers that you're going to give him something because you can tell there's a legitimate frustration from aaron Rodgers is what the fuck like yeah thanks for all the new like hot wheels toys that you got me right but it takes time for these guys to develop but have you have you noticed that ever since aaron came and spoke out about the process and how he's trying to get players to join that once goot and those guys started bringing him into the room he started shutting up about it because i mean the packers offered the same thing to chase claypool that the bears did yep and pittsburgh decided to go with the bears like this isn't this isn't a personal thing. This is a listen, um, and you know by the Bears, it's a good move too. Because who would you rather see in the Super Bowl? Right, you're not going to see the Bears in the Super Bowl anytime soon. Not yeah. any, not anytime in the next five or like, six years. Just like the Vikings getting Justin Jefferson instead of trading to us, and the pick they they traded a pick to us. If everybody remembers, we 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 got our wide receiver. Right. Well, technically, no, we got I guess we got uh, no, we got Walker. Right. Or Devontae. Yeah. Wyatt. Uh, Wyatt. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not will. They're going to give us something that's not going to give us an opportunity. But that's why they didn't trade with us that position the year before, because they knew maybe they did. And I don't even think they needed Justin Jefferson. It was just like, we know the Packers need this, want this guy. We know what this guy is. We don't want them to get better at that position and look where we are. It, they played it perfectly. So I hate kind of tooting, obviously, the Vikings horn, but those th- that's exactly how I feel with, with um, what Claypool did, right? Or what the, what the Pittsburgh Steelers did. And I'm sure that Claypool had a choice. If you want to go here, do you want to go here? The compensation is the same. And yeah. he's looking aging quarterback because you know Claypool's young who might not be around there's some uncertainty around there the team's not playing well it's not the same Green Bay Packers fucking guys from the Jets are wearing the cheese head and fucking around and saying fuck you and Washington and Washington did the same thing now they're making a mockery and you know if we look at Goots drafting and getting guys and I know a lot of guys will be pounding the fist he brought us this guy he got us that guy you know when you start to look at his body of work, his full body of work, there's a lot of misses. Mm-hmm. And all I have to say is, is even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Right? Well, I think just drafting in general and that 60% of players in the first round are busts anyway, right? So 
I get it. And I guess maybe it's a safer pick to go on the defensive side of the ball. I, I doubt it. I don't know what the numbers are. I've never looked at that. But look, the fact that we've been abysmal in the early rounds, other than, you know, Jair obviously was a gem, but Savage, you, you look at all of these seven first round picks that we've had all on defense and where they're playing and how much of that is actually the player and how much is it that they went from Dom Capers to Joe Barry. And that's part of the GM's job too, right? It's not only the head coach, it's a conversation with the GM to say, okay, I know the players I got, my scouting team got them. This is the type of players they are. Let's go get a defensive coordinator that fits exactly what these guys are doing. Why didn't they just go get fucking Lovey Smith, dude? Honestly. Like I don't. Well, this, that's where he is. He's Lovey Smith. Now, now understand. If I was Goo and I was in charge before the, uh, you know, beginning of the season, okay, and we had the two first round picks, I would have traded a first and a second. I would have grabbed Chris Olave. Yeah. I would have traded that's our second. One. I would have traded our second first round pick and traded back in the draft, so that suddenly we had a couple of second rounders. I also would have hired Wade Phillips. Now, close your eyes for a second and think of this, okay? Oops. No, we wouldn't have Quay Walker. No, we wouldn't have Devontae Wyatt. But we would have the same defense we had last year on top of Douglas and Campbell, right? And we could have picked up a couple of other players in the second round for defense. I mean, Wyatt might have been there in the second round, right? Probably. So, they got you're right. To reach and you look at the teams around him, nobody took a defensive end in that area. They were actually still targeting offensive linemen and wide receivers, which is why we ended up. And I'm not, dude, I like Christian Watson. I think he's a fantastic talent, but it takes time for the guys that have talent to get to that point because then they can be Hall of Famer great or they're going to be bust. That's that's what Christian Watson is. Imagine Olave and Wade Phillips. Yeah. Olave and Wade Phillips. The offense would have been a little bit more potent and the defense would have been ferocious. Top five, no more than 10 points in a game. And Wade Phillips would have had Jair on their number one every goddamn play. I don't understand. They make it sound so freaking complicated, but 31 other teams are able to do it. Why is it so complicated in Green Bay? Why is the water different in Green Bay than it is in 31 other cities? You know why it is? It's because Lafleur is doubling down on a guy that he backed, much like he did for our special teams guy, and that bit us in the ass last year, didn't it? This is again why we brought up, why I brought up that question that infuriated so many people. How much more of this are we going to allow Lafleur to do? I'm not saying we pack up Lafleur's things. What I'm saying is, is Goot needs to grab a hold of his team and go, okay, listen, I like Lafleur, I like. I like Stenovich. I like this guy. I like that guy. I like Rich Bisaccia. I do not like Joe Barry, and he's got to go. Did you hear? Um, so Dan Orlovsky, um, who has obviously been a Packer backer on, multi, you know, on all the media platforms, obviously ESPN, he's been very adamant about defending the Packers from top to bottom. And November fourth, twenty twenty two. Here's what he said. Here's where I am with all of this. I'm sick and tired of hearing Green Bay's front office tried. I feel like I've heard that for two and a half, three years. Those are some, those are just some words that ESPN analyst, analyst and consistent Packers supporter Dan, or Dan Orlovsky ended his NFL live segment with. Like he's even saying what we're saying where it's like, dude, do something. Like you guys keep talking and we say this all the time. Like I hate people and like my kids, like my kids, for example, when they 
say that they're going to do something like I hate chatter and not going through and actually action to match your words. Cause then the words become empty. And for the last couple of years, everything we hear from the Packers, from these press conferences, from the media that goes and talks to these people, everything that you see, it's all empty words and nothing fucking happens. And that's the frustration. You said it with the trade deadline coming and going. It's like, why are we fucking surprised? Oh, we tried. Oh yeah. We contacted them. Shut the fuck up. Like, stop with that shit. Like, that's the problem is that when you have an opportunity to get a game-changing player like Olave, which is who you wanted, and I also loved, but I just knew he wasn't going to be there for us at all. Yeah. I didn't expect yeah. the run happen, but I knew he wasn't going to be at 22. And we remember we did our mock drafts and we did everything. We packaged a second rounder or the first two rounders and go up and we we're like, we can probably get into that 12, 13 range, just like the Lions did. What did they do? They went and got Jamison. They fucking mortgaged the future. Why? Because they know that that guy's a game-changing talent. They know that whether it's Jared Goff or whoever the fuck, because they're going to have to draft another fucking quarterback because they can't find a quarterback to save their fucking life. They're going to do that again. Whoever comes in is going to have weapons around him. You have to give. And, dude, it just, my brain, the last two weeks since we talked about the whole difference between what makes a wide receiver or a quarterback, right? Like, and I'm not talking about winning a Super Bowl. I'm talking about making a quarterback become an MVP caliber or to win the MVP, right? I think if we were to look at the numbers of the quarterback that won the MVP, not necessarily winning the Super Bowl and cor correlating to that, I guarantee you that every single MVP had some sort of game-changing weapon, especially at the wide receiver position. The last two years for Aaron Rodgers, he had Devontae Adams. You go back to actual MVPs, and the big difference is that they've had that wide receiver. That's what they did. Why aren't we doing it? Dan Orlovsky's talking about, like, it, it's starting to become the 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 bubble is finally burst, right? Where everybody's kept quiet about it, but now everybody's yapping back at the back. Winning solves everything, right? Yeah. Winning yeah. shuts everyone up. You win and everything's fine. Everything's okay. When you start to lose all of your inaccuracies, all your mistakes, all your missteps, they're right there. They're right there for everyone to see and for everyone to judge and speculate about. We're three and five. If you go over our last, what are we? What are we, uh, 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 four and 10 in our last 14 games? Like, there is some glaring holes. And you've got guys like the Jets head coach there coming out going, we know what type of team this is. We know exactly how to beat them. And this is how you beat them. And giving everybody the blueprint, right? Joe Barry's out there scrambling. I mean, the guy's running around with a chicken with his head cut off. He's not cool, calm, and collective. Wade Phillips would have turned this defense into a ferocious, game-changing monster of a defense because he's got seven first-rounders out there, for Christ's sakes. Instead, we've got a defense that is terrible, underperforming, and it's because they're, they're just being out-coached, period. And you've got an offense that's out there trying to play hero ball with no wide receivers. This, this team needs exactly. a coaching regime change. And I'm not talking about Lafleur. I'm talking about all the guys that Lafleur is backing. Lafleur, you're backing the wrong guys. And the guys that you're backing, it's okay to say, listen, I thought for sure Joe Barry was the guy. I thought he could take care of it. And I backed him. It's okay to say that, to say, hey, listen, I, I vouched for friends. We've all done this, where you vouched for a friend so he could get a job. And then the guy flakes out and does a terrible 
you know, he's terrible at the job. And then after that, you go, listen, I'm not vouching for these guys anymore. That's it. I can't, I can't do it. Right. Cause it starts to make me look like a fool. LaFleur, you're starting to look like a fool. You're starting to look like a fool and you're not a fool. You're a pretty smart guy, but because you keep cowering instead of standing. And this is this new, this new coaching, you know, era and idea. They go, well, you know, we have a lot of input from a lot of different, it is a dictatorship. It is not a democracy. They do as you say, and they do as they're told. There's no such thing as freedom of speech within the locker room. There's no such thing as everyone gets a vote within the locker room. When the players start to make votes and the players start to interact and make changes and stuff, it's because you're failing. It's because you're failing and you're not winning. You imagine right now, okay, what the chatter would be if we were, say, seven and two. There'd be no chatter. They'd be like, well, there's a few things we've got to get fixed up and shored up. Absolutely. Yep. Right. The same old, same old. Now no. you've got guys like Jair, Rogers, Jerry Gray, Douglas, Clark. You've got these guys starting to peep, 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 peep. The stuff is starting to fall through the cracks. We're starting yeah. to, you know, we can see behind the curtain and, and, and pay no attention to the guy behind the curtain, but we can see him. And it's not the magical Oz. It's some dude grabbing bullies and he's got no idea what the fuck he's doing. Why are we not dictating with this defense? Do you know what type? I mean, I am drooling at the mouth. If I had a defense like this, the amount of records that would be set with sacks, interceptions, tackles for losses, right? It would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. Here, here, look, man, and that's – I think the most disappointing part of this is when you look at the preseason, everybody, including analysts, were predicting this defense to be a top-five defense. We're in the bottom fucking third. Like, it's just – like, we're just middle of the road, 16th. We're, we're ranked 16th. And, you know, we can take a little bit of a break here, and then we can come back, and I've got some uh, – just some rankings and some, some PFF stuff that we can talk about to kind of solidify everything that we've been talking about in this first half, dude. Done. Packers without borders. 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 The greatest podcast on the planet. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Packers Without Borders. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. Also, you can find our merch on PackersWithoutBorders.MyShopify.com and TeePublic if you want cups, mugs, and those types of things. You can also visit us on Patreon.com front slash Packers Without Borders and give us some money. And audibletrial.com front slash Packers Without Borders. Give them a click, check them out, try that 30-day free trial with them, and enjoy your books. Peace, and go Pack Go!
Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. Packers without borders. You are listening to my dad and his friend Bruce on Packers without borders. Welcome back and thanks for joining Deepak Chona here with your SportsMed Analytics Podcast. Saturday morning leading into week nine, so let's dive in. Starting with Mark Andrews. Now week eight video suggested an AC joint sprain of his shoulder. The fact that this kept him from returning in the game suggests at least a moderate severity injury. Average timeout would be two to four weeks. We lean towards Andrews missing week nine, returning after the week 10 bye. On his teammate, Gus Edwards, we would lean towards Edwards also missing week nine, solid chance to return week 11. Again, they had that week 10 bye. His hamstring issue is reportedly minor, but strong hamstrings protect that freshly reconstructed ACL he just got. So we'd expect the Ravens to be a little bit on the slow side here with Gus Edwards. On Keenan Allen, wide receivers average four to six weeks for these in-season hamstring re-aggravations. With Allen sustaining his re-injury leading up to week eight, it wouldn't really be surprising to see him sit out multiple weeks even from here. When Allen does come back, he'll likely initially be on a snap count and have a high re-injury risk. On his teammate, Mike Williams, the week seven injury video looked like a severe high ankle sprain that would average four to six weeks for wide receivers. The performance impact and the performance dip really tends to last the full six weeks. So even if he plays before that point, we would anticipate limitations. On DeAndre Swift, now week nine status to be determined, he was very likely on a planned snap count in week eight, hence the limited production. We would lean slightly towards Swift playing week nine, but seeing limited touches at best. Jamal Williams should be high on DFS radars for at least one to two more weeks while Swift ramps back up. Cooper Cup, factoring in Cup's injury and his practice progression, the analytics predict only minor impact on his production this week. We would plan to start Cup in all formats, assuming no setback before Sunday. And then Rashad Bateman, now he's sitting out for the rest of the year, undergoing Liz Frank surgery. Dynasty owners who are building for the future should really consider buying low on Bateman. Yes, he's missed significant time in both of his pro seasons, but return from Liz Frank surgery for a young, productive wide receiver with 60th percentile athletic metrics is pretty promising. Playing week one of 23 is a very realistic goal, and the Sportsman Analytics algorithm projects return of his performance around the halfway point of next season. For reference, this is the same injury that Travis Etienne just had last year. Then we have Christian Watson. His status for week nine is to be determined. We would lean slightly towards him sitting. Now concussion protocol timeline data shows pretty high variance, but his practice progression gives him just under 50% probability of being cleared. If he does get cleared, concussions don't often negatively affect production or workload when wide receivers return. 
Then we have his teammate Alan Lazard, also week 9 status to be determined. His comments suggested a shoulder partial dislocation and with that probably a tear of the labrum. Wide receivers average 2-3 to three weeks to return. He's now at 2 and based on his practice reports, we would lean slightly towards Lazard playing. We wouldn't be looking to start him at DFS since he does project to have a moderate about 15-20% to 20% production hit this soon from the injury. And then Jonathan Taylor. Now, a re-aggravated high ankle is unfortunately very bad news for Jonathan Taylor. Even mild re-sprains do tend to cost at least two weeks, so it would be pretty surprising to see him play before week 11. Then Van Jefferson. Now, he did play last week. Expect a rapid ramp up for Van Jefferson. He's now three months removed from knee surgery, so he'll likely be back soon to full explosiveness levels. We wouldn't roll the dice on starting him just yet, but he has the potential to be a sneaky good DFS value in the coming weeks. Keep him on your buy low radars for season long and dynasty. And then Darren Waller. True game time decision, we would lean slightly towards him playing. If active, data projects a moderate 15-20% to performance dip based on the inferred injury severity and his practice progression. And then for my Eagles fans, we have Jordan Davis, reporting suggested four to six weeks. Our data suggests that in larger NFL athletes, they do tend to average on the higher side of that, about five to six weeks for return. Full production usually would take about eight weeks in severe cases. And then we have DK Metcalf. Now, we expect pretty significant improvements over the coming two weeks. He put up 50 yards in a touchdown only one week after straining his knee, and he was limited in practice the entire week going up to that point. He's now back at full practice, and his knee is very likely feeling a lot better now. So expect big improvements over from DK Metcalf in, in the next few weeks. And that is all we have for today. Don't forget to hit us up with your questions on Twitter at SportMDAnalysis and Instagram at SportsMedAnalytics. Till next time. Dr. Deepak with the uh, injury report. Thank you very much, sir. Like to hear those injuries, like to keep on top of my fantasy team. That way, you know, they could tell me uh, about a minute and a half before the game starts that, uh, oh, Cooks is out. So you're going to put the big zero on the board on your fantasy lineup. Thanks. Appreciate that. <sighs> Damn it. Terrible. I'm already struggling in the league. I don't need help. No. <laughs> Where am I here? Hold on. What the fuck? I'm trying to find. I've got my bookmark for the PFF stuff because really interesting, man. Um, that it, it's concerning that everything we're saying is actually true and it's backed up, right? Like it's just, what is it going to take, man? What is it going to fucking take? Explain to me how the fuck this is going to turn around because we're going to have to run the table, buddy. We're going to have to win eight straight games. It's happened before. He's won seven. He's won eight in a row. He's done it before. But what is it that we need to fucking do, man, like to, to, to right the ship, right? Like, what is it that's going to knock these guys over the fucking head, whether, like you said, pulling back the fucking curtain from the fucking Wizard of Oz and pulling him out and exposing him, which is kind of where we are at this point, where the players are starting to expose him, right? Like, what? What the fuck? Think about the think about the uphill climb that needs to be done. Like just from stats, okay? Think yep. about the uphill climb that needs to be done by the defense over the next uh, what do we got? Eight, nine games left. Nine games. Nine think games. about the uphill climb that they have to make just to get close to the top ten. Right. Just to get close. 
just to get close. And I'll tell you, if you told me at the beginning of the year that the defense would be ranked 11th overall, I would say fire Joe Barry, fire him immediately, get rid of this guy immediately. We're not going to come close to 11 folks. We're not going to, we need to basically just pitch shutout after shutout after shutout and have tackle for losses. We need to play the Jacksonville Jaguars of the late nineties. Okay. Like 10 times in a row, we need to play the uh, Detroit lions zero and 16 team, which, you know, was coached by Joe Barry. We need to play them nine times in a row to get climbed back up. The, the pendulum has got to swing so fucking far that it's just not happening. I mean, Jair would have to get, I was expecting Stokes and Jair between the two of them, 10 interceptions. What are we at? Two. Yeah. You know, what's terrible. Like we have loved criticizing the lions and why we have so much fear. Like there is a legitimate nervousness that we can fucking get blown out by this team or we can blow them out or it's going to be close. And they like, we'd have no idea. Here's the problem, dude. Power ranking wise for this week, right? Like against our opponent, not looking at the overall this week, we're the ninth, like ninth best power rank overall for this team against who we're going against, right? Because they're 32nd power rank on defense. We should be top five defense this week against this fucking team because they're 32nd power rank on offense. We should be the sixth best this week, just this week, not the whole year for this. And they should end up at 22nd. Now here's the problem, dude. You look at the actual numbers of how we've been playing all season long and they are identical. Average offensive snap, 65.8% for the Packers, 68% for the fucking Lions. Run play percentage, 38.1% for the Packers, 386 for the Lions. Pass percentage play, 61.9 to 61.4. Average EPA per play, right? Negative 0.6. We're predicted to have less fucking EPA than it's negative 0.06 to negative 0.03. And Per pass play, we're negative 0.09, while the Lions are point are, are neutral. So in categories, when you actually look at what we're doing, we're actually playing exactly like the Lions, and they're just better at us at passing. But we are literally the Lions right now. That's the problem, dude. I think if the uh, Lions beat us this week, Mark Murphy and Goot need to grab a hold of their uh, team and fix it. And if not then we need to start looking at from the top down. I don't think we need to get rid of Lafleur. I think Lafleur, Basaccia, they both need to stay. I think everyone else is on notice. And I mean, I understand we've got. They're not communicating to Barry enough, whether it's Joe Barry or the fact that the positional coaches, if I was a positional coach and you keep putting my fucking players out there, my job's on the fucking line. I would go to him and say, dude, all right, fucker. This is what you, I'm the guy who teaches the linebackers. I need you to stop putting Preston in fucking coverage because he's our best run defender right now. Leave him on the line, have him save it and have him rush the passer. Same thing with Rashawn Gary, right? Like, why are they not like, why don't you put, Gary inside, since he's being a liability on the outside and holding the edge, which you've seen over and over again, put him in the fucking middle, put Preston on one side, and then you can and rotate. And Bar, and Bar on the and other side. side. Why don't you just, just put my guys in a position to succeed so that I agree with you. The positional coaches are on the hot seat. Why? Because it's 
the boss and then everybody else, but the, everybody else below him, the Jerry Grace and all these guys are, are speaking up, which, you know, at your job, if you start speaking up, it can go one of two ways. Either they listen to you and they appreciate the feedback and they take the constructive criticism, or they're going to find a fucking way to get rid of you. And you're going to be the scapegoat, right? So Joe Barry can around and say, my positional coaches aren't doing what I'm telling them bullshit, but that's what he's going to fucking say. See, if you don't get home with three, then you try four. If you don't get home with four, then you try five. And if you're not getting home with five, then you need a different game plan or different players. That's what it is. It's like when we lost BJ Raj, right? When BJ Raj left, when you play a three, four technique, you need a nose tackle that commands a double team, commands it. That way it offsets how many people are blocking. Now, we had a great run defense and a great defensive line when Pickett was there with Raj. Because if you double-team Raj, Pickett was coming through. If you double-team both guys, Matthew, somebody else is coming through. Our issue is, is Clark is the only one right now demanding a double-team. And half the time, he's not being double-teamed. So he can't get home because somebody, their best blocker, is being put on him. So, so instead of fine-tuning this, why, huh? is, why is Clark underperforming? Because you look at oh, his- he's just in the wrong position. He's just in the wrong position. He's just not being listen. If he can't beat that center, move him outside. If he can't move outside, move him inside. You keep adjusting. This is like looking at remember the old when you were a kid and you'd look at your dad's hi-fi stereo system and it had hundreds of little knobs and stuff like that. And he would fine tune things to get them just right in the exact way that he wanted them. His equalizer. Don't touch it. God damn it. Don't touch these things. I got them exactly where I want. Okay. This is like the defense. You got a little knob for the defensive line. You got a little knob for the linebackers. You have a little knob for the secondary and you have a little knob for the safeties. And you keep turning the little knobs. Okay. Tuning in. Until you get it exactly the way that you want. Which never does. There's no adjustments ever from this guy. And for every different song, i.e. every other team, it needs to be adjusted. A little more here, a little less there. A little more here, a little more there. It needs to be adjusted. It's just like when you've got that great stereo system in your car. You listen to ACDC, it needs to be at this EQ volume. You listen to Madonna, Madonna's got incredibly clear thick bass on her song it needs to be adjusted this way we play the bills well they play like this it needs to be adjusted like this now we're playing the lines it needs to be adjusted like that and their defense is why preston smith or campbell on the first play against the bills is covering digs what's in the playbook throw it the fuck out that's that cross it off the list and say we're not running that play anymore instead they go well it's in the playbook <laughs> what are you gonna do Throw it the fuck out of the playbook. Throw it out. You got these playbooks that have hundreds and thousands of plays. You can't throw out that one? Well, no, we installed it. Delete the file. 31 other teams can do it. 31 other teams can do it. Why can't we do it? It's a stubbornness. It's a stubbornness that this is what's going to, and they don't want to seem flexible or make any adjustments. You have to. You have to coach the team you have, not the team you wish you had. That's it. That's all there is to it. Okay, buddy. So let's let's finish it off with this. I've got what are your expectations and what is your prediction then with this team? What do we expect to see this week? 31, 27, 
Detroit. Why? Because nothing, everything that we've talked about has not changed. So you're with Detroit 31-27. I've got the Packers winning 27-24 because I do think they're going to lean on the run game. And I think that they're, it's going to be a Dylan game. There's going to be a little bit more Dylan, I think. It, we're not going to rush it, you know, 35 times or whatever. Um, but we'll probably be – we'll be in those 35 touch range. And last week was the first time that we've lost with both, you know, both running backs – receiving those 35 touches. I anticipate the same thing. I think we're going to write the ship. It's going to be not ugly, but it's going to be one of those sitting on the edge, just yelling at the TV, but we'll win 27, 23, 27, 24. I'll, I'll stick with 27, 23. I think Detroit jumps out to an early lead and we can't recover. And we just start bickering on the sidelines. I, 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 I'm going to cheer. I'm going to wear a different Jersey. I've been burning through unlucky jerseys this season. Like last year, I think I wore four, four jerseys the entire year this year i've gone through six <laughs> you know i can't i can't seem to get one to work more than a week maybe what we do is let's let's go with uh let's let's both put on our, our farb jersey what do you say you know and and <laughs> farb is like a four-letter word right now i know it? that's that's what we need we need a four-letter word right now buddy so let, let's go with right? the four listen i'm going to cheer and this is my team and I'm going to back these guys. I'm tatted. I'm tatted up, man. I'm branded. I'm not going anywhere else. Yep. I almost think that it needs to get a lot worse before it'll get better. I don't think it can get worse for this. Oh, no. Team, no, I know. Oh, it no. Can, no, we it can get it. a lot worse. What I'm saying is, for this season and the expectations and what's going on, I think they've hit at least with the expectations for this team. They've, they've hit rock bottom to the point where it's either up from here or it's a complete shit show. Yeah. And with the thickness of teams that are coming up here, I just, I, I have a hard time believing it because I haven't seen it. I haven't seen any willingness to make any adjustments. And this isn't a reflection of the team. This is a reflection of the coaching staff and how they refuse to make their adjustments. I mean, Jesus, LaFleur finally runs the ball week eight. And the D and the offense looks completely different. Imagine if we did this from the very beginning, we'd be seven and two right now. We'd be seven and two. Which is why I think they have a chance, Matt, because you're, we're saying this. So if you do it, we should be able to be eight and one, the last games of the season. You know what I mean? Seven and two. I think seven and two, if we can get it together, we're going to go seven and two. My problem is, is I don't think we're getting it together. I think there's a lot too much more bickering. And I've been on those teams where there's no faith in the defensive coordinator and we're phoning it in. Well, we're phoning see. it in because it, we know that it doesn't matter how hard we work in practice. I'm not going to line up on the number one guy. I'm going to line up on some number four. Yeah. Our worst coverage guy is going to get their number one and we're going to get smoked over and over and over again. And it's up for the coach to take that player off the field, but he won't do it. So what do you want me to do, man? I'll, I'll keep working my position as hard as I can and I'll keep fighting. But yep. I'm in a boat with an eight foot hole collecting water and nobody's bailing. Listen, Saturday's podcast. I know it's a little bit of a downer. I know I predicted, listen, I was predicting a win, win, win every week and I was dead wrong. Something's got to break. Either I'm going to start being right the entire time or I'm going to continue my wrong streak. 
I did uh, say they were going to lose last week. I think they're going to lose again this week. I honestly, I think it probably the best thing that could possibly happen for them is to get blown out by Detroit because then it would force somebody to say, Barry's got to go in that office and, and, and make that change. And then maybe we can get that run. It would also give us, get us off that fence because we are currently sitting on a fence where it's like, well, the playoffs look like this could happen and this could still possibly, this would basically eliminate the playoffs from us losing to Detroit another division loss like this this would take us out because remember we've got the Cowboys the Giants and the Eagles in one division and they all look like they're taking up a playoff spot and then you give everybody else the the you give the Vikings you know you give Seattle and you give uh, uh Atlanta their spots and we're out that's it mathematically we're out so hopefully this is the tipping point we either go up or we go straight down, we get a great draft pick. Listen, you got any questions for us for Mailbag Monday? Sponsored by Manscaped, the creator of all things big and small. You can uh, find us at uh, Packers Without Borders at Outlook.com. Find us on Twitter at Borders Packers. Uh, Instagram, Packers Without Borders. Facebook, Packers Without Borders. And don't forget about Packers Without Borders merch on Instagram. Those shirts, this is the, we're, we're counting it down. You want those shirts, you got to order them right away. You're, yep. Bruce, Bruce is not going to have people are starting to reorder to kind of make the collection, you know, collect, yeah. collect what they can. Cause they're going to be gone. They're not going to come back. They're going to be done. And we're going to completely switch to something else. So make sure and get it. It's at Packers without borders at my And once again, thank you so much to all our Patreons, patreon.com front slash Packers without borders and enjoy our Saturday pod. And we'll see you on Monday. Peace. Go pack. Go. This has been Packers Without Borders. Try and be kind to one another. Try and love each other. And go Pack Go. Esto ha sido Empacadores Sin Fronteras. No se les olvide cuidarnos unos a los otros. Hasta luego.